<laughs> hey, this is Jamie King from Jamie King Audio. You're listening to Misery Point Radio. To Misery Point Radio, thanks for joining me once again on this epic journey to seek out and destroy all that doth suck in the universe and to deliver unto thee the holy piles of awesomeness that will lead to your audio salvation or damnation, depending on your warped point of view. Either way, I appreciate you being here as my companions through the wasteland. Well, today's epic journey on the quest for said piles of awesomeness brings us back to the distant land of North Carolina which seems to have become quite the landing pad for this show. I know. It's no coincidence, though, as many of my guests do in fact reside there in what has, in my opinion, become the new capital for all kinds of metal, from the blackest death to the thrashiest thrash to the most technical and experimental power and prog metal. And in this oasis of awesomeness, one man stands apart, using his divine talents of musical wizardry to record, produce, mix, and master any human amount of awesomeness as he works with countless bands to bring forth the metal and solidify North Carolina as the true epicenter of all that is heavy and extreme. Even his name, royal and divine by decree, a true king, reigning over the metal holy land, responsible for churning out award-winning albums and working with true legends in the industry. I'm talking about none other than the legendary Jamie King. And this is an epic conversation you don't want to miss because you'll get the inside scoop on his rebranding, his recording philosophy, his take on the industry, the re-emergence of his band Swift, and his thoughts on working with bands like Prog Rockers, Between the Buried and Me, Thrash Masters Outlier, and of course, OG Death Metal God's False Prophet, and so much more. So kick back, enjoy, and learn from one of the true masters. Here we go. All right, so welcome to Misery Point Radio from Jamie King Audio, the man himself, Jamie King. Jamie, thanks for joining me today, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Cool, yeah. Um, it's been kind of a long, crazy process to make this happen, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've had some uh, some interesting uh, bumps in the road, but uh, you know, we're here and we're ready to rock this thing. Cool. All right, so um, I do want to ask you, though. So up until very recently, you were branded as the basement recording and then now you've kind of rebranded yourself as a Jamie King Audio. So what's up with the change there? Well, you know, I, I did the basement recording thing. I mean, I've always worked, you know, I started out in, in my parents' basement, actually. And it was just like a cinder block wall basement here in North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to false advertise and make people believe they're coming to some real, you know, awesome studio facility or anything. It was a literal basement so legitimately a basement yeah exactly so yeah there was no you know so it made it clear like hey it's just you know i'm recording in my basement so um but so that was you know the reason for that from the beginning but you know and I, i'm still working on my basement here in uh Winston salem in my own home now but uh you know it's more of a you know, it's got finished walls and things like that and uh but you know more of my work here recently has become more like a mixing and mastering and less actual recording so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's, uh, and, and in my, the name Jamie King is, you know, way more known, uh, to the public than the basement, you know, as opposed to, uh, and management just suggested, you know, don't, you know, as opposed to promoting, 
you know, your facility, which you don't really have one, you know, just promote your name. Your name is, you know, more known. So, uh, Crazy. so it just made, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. And how did that sound when they said, Hey, promote your name. And all of a sudden now you're your own product. <laughs> I, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm down with it. That's awesome. You know, luckily I've got yeah. an easy, to, easy to say and pronounce name, you know, or, you know, say and spell and pronounce, you know, so yeah, uh, it works out. Awesome. Well, you're definitely staying busy, that's for sure. I'm sure the clients that you have rolling through your basement aren't too concerned that they're actually uh, showing up into a basement. They're getting a, looks like a pretty badass facility you got going on there. I've seen some cool promo stills and some some footage and whatnot. Uh, it's, you know, it's just a basement, but I do have the correct gear for what I'm doing. You know, I've got top, top, top of the line, uh, you know, some analog gear for uh, mastering and things like that and all the proper mics to record you know metal and rock and stuff of that nature and stuff oh yeah you're kind of known actually for kind of more of the hard edge stuff the the metal the rock kind of the progressive stuff was that by design or that did that just kind of fall into your lap and that's kind of what you stuck with yeah kind of i mean well yeah because you know when i started recording you know uh i started recording for my bands and my bands were always on the heavier side and uh uh, and so, you know, when people heard my early recordings of my own band, they were metal-esque type bands. So it was like, you know, so obviously the metal bands were kind of like, you know, hey, where did you record and that kind of thing. So, uh, and then, you know, I'd record more metal bands, or you know, and, you know, of all different, you know, variations. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's tended to stay on the heavy side. You know, it's kind of my, uh, it's the music I grew up listening to and playing and, and all that stuff. So even though I have done a few, like, you know, country rock projects and things like that, pop rock, things of that nature, whatever. My forte is definitely, uh, definitely on the, the heavy prog side of things. Cool. So you, you kind of touched on it a little bit that you're doing a lot of mixing and mastering, but you actually have a lot of roles as a producer, as an engineer, as a mixing engineer. Kind of tell us about all the stuff, all the different roles that you play and what are the differences between those, those different roles? Yeah. The, um, well, yeah, there's, there's actually a lot of roles, you know, um, uh, you know, traditionally a producer, uh, is somebody who actually gets into the material. You know, a lot of times when you talk about a producer with a commercial record label and commercial styles of music, uh, you know, they actually help bands craft the material, you know, take the band's ideas and things like that. Now, honestly, I don't do a whole lot of the traditional, uh, you know, production role in that regard. Most of the bands, you know, most of my clients, they pretty much have things worked out the way they want. There's there's no rules with progressive metal and metal like there is uh, with, uh, you know, commercial styles of music, you know, they, you know, commercial you know, labels and radio, you know, a lot of radio stations, they like songs to be, you know, three and a half, four and a half minutes long. And there's like, you know, hey, we want, you know, verse, chorus, you know, bridge type structure, things of that nature. And uh, a lot of times producers try to help the bands craft a song into a radio single or whatever. But obviously in this style of music, there's not a lot of that going on. So uh, my role as a producer is mainly to try to get the tones and this, you know, and the takes that the artist wants for the final product, you know. Um, to make mm-hmm. sure, make sure, you know, uh, the, you know, uh, basically to get the best out of them and the best translation, uh, you know, um, uh, for what they do and what they're going for. So if you're acting as a producer, are, are you, you're involved in guiding the, the final sound, the tonality, not so much the direction the band takes, but, you know, taking control over the, the sonic qualities and making suggestions on 
what kind of effects to put where and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And some, you know, some band, like, I mean, I, you know, I work with some clients who they know exactly what they want through and through for every aspect, what kind of guitar tone, what kind of effects, what kind of overall sound. But then sometimes I have clients who come in and like, hey, man, you know, uh, we want to let you, you know, use your, you know, what do you think we should sound like? You know, we want your expertise and, uh, you know, this is what we're going for. This is the market we're trying to, to reach. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's varying degrees. It depends on the band. It depends on uh, who all is involved. Sometimes every once in a while there'll be a label involved and, and sometimes they have particular requirements or, uh, you know, a vision for their client and things of that nature that you have to uh, consider. Uh, normally I'm, you know, cause like I said, I, I'm from the band background. I'm almost always from the band or from the artist's uh, point of view on things. So, you know, I, uh, right. you know, I'm, I'm usually try you know, I usually just try to uh, realize what the band's vision is if they have one. And, uh, and if not, then I try to uh, try to figure out what their vision might be <laughs> and do that, you know, not really impart my sure. sound, you know, like I don't really have a producer sound. I try to sound like I try to allow the band to sound the way they sound, you know, and maximize that. Right. So um, I read that you got your start and then kind of with all that stuff, kind of back in the, the mid 90s, recording bands and projects on four tracks, Absolutely. which is kind of how I got started. Yep. And then did you just kind of progress, you know, end up going to eight tracks, 16 track, 24 track, and then ultimately into just kind of full-blown computer recording or yeah well i went to digital pretty early on i, I mean some of some of the listeners out there might know about the old school adats you know the digital tape machines you know uh, that were yeah, popular the in elisa the, stuff yeah in the, in the in the you know mid to late 90s uh, you know that was kind of the thing and uh so you know i, I had a four track and i think you know i had I, I was able to save up enough money to buy one adat it was like eight track you know a digital recording and uh, so i uh so I was I basically just, you know, you know, I started kind of in the analog realm. And, I, you know, even when I was using the ADATs, I was still using the mixing board, the, con you know, the console type thing and the, uh, you know, the effects, outboard effects units, you know, the, obviously it's the digital recording, but it was still analog processing and stuff like that. And uh, no capability right. of editing. But, uh, you know, I was working with that for a couple of years before I was finally able to, uh, to find a used Pro Tools uh, 888 system. Uh, it was one of the early Pro Tools rigs, um, you know, with the cream and white Mac, you know, all the old. Oh, uh, man. It, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, like, uh, you know, I remember, I remember uh, you know, I tell people this all the time, but they had, you know, the, like seven gig SCSI drive was like, you know, $800, you know. And then people were like, what? yeah, I had a Roland uh, virtual studio with a SCSI CD burner attached to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Boy, that was slow. Remember <laughs> <laughs> one CD like two hours later. Yeah, you go to lunch and come back. It wouldn't yeah. transfer all the way, and you're like, no, <laughs> starting over, oh, starting yeah. over. Oh, now I got to duplicate this. You know, great. Yeah. There goes three days worth of work for like a dozen copies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got clients I'm sure that still remember that. You know, like you, you want to process some limiting in Pro Tools. You know, it's like, all right, let's go, sure. let's go grab something to eat, and this these guitars will be limited when we come back, <laughs> or or the snare drum will be limited when. We come back it was a you know crazy time but uh you know but it was amazing you know having said that you know you know i didn't have the money for you know racks of crazy outboard gear and stuff like that so it enabled sure. me to uh you know to get a little a little more uh produced type product that you know you can hear with the 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 you know the, the the major labels and stuff were putting out you know i could get something similar in my parents basement you know uh, uh so it was actually quite uh 
revolutionary for me, you know, to uh, go that route. And, and of course, like I've just been following through with Pro Tools upgrades up until I guess I finally did the HD thing in about 2004 or five or something like that. And uh, yeah, kind of yeah I haven't stepped the- into that one yet, but uh, right now it's just me. So that HD is a that's a daunting price tag, but uh, <laughs> and the <laughs> and the system requirements are pretty beefy. So yeah, you know, I'm not quite there, but yeah. So so when did you decide though that? You know, you're taking it from a project. Clearly, you've got a passion for it. You you found out you were pretty good. You had some talent. When did you say, this is what I'm going to do? This is going to be my life from here on out. Where was the point of that? Uh, 2001, uh, I was working in a music store. And uh, the band I was in, you know, uh, uh, my band, my old band, Swift, we were negotiating with all the major labels other than, I think, maybe Arista at the time, uh, you know, through from 99 to 2000 into 2001. And, uh, you know, we had settled on a, on a deal with MCA and uh, 9-11 happened uh, in 2001. Oh. And uh, we were in our third month of negotiation with uh, MCA. And uh, and they called up our manager like, look, the economy's kind of in bad shape. We can't, you know, we're, you know it was going to be like a, a million dollar type deal, you know. And they're like, we can't invest in an unproven heavy band right now until we see how the economy's going to shape up and, and so basically everything just, you know, came to a halt. You know, the carpet was pulled out from under us. And it was like, you know, I had been doing recording on the side and working in a music store, kind of just waiting for my band thing to kick off and us to go on tour and things of that nature. And uh, um, so when uh, that happened, I was like, man, I just need to focus on recording, you know, something that's solid, you know, where I can make some money because, you know, we were, uh, you know, I was living in an apartment. I was actually struggling to pay the rent, you know, you know working at the music store and then the, the, you know, the news that the music store was going to shut down, you know, uh, the owner of the music store I was working with, he had inherited a lot of money and he was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I was like, Oh man, like, what am I going to do? And, but luckily I had a, you know, a backlog of bands who wanted to get in and record with me. And, uh, I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this, you know? And I really, you know, it was difficult the first couple of years cause I was still learning, you know, the, the full production thing with pro tools. And, uh, you know, I had to, make the plunge and buy a computer, you know, and, and, uh, I guess I had the Digio one system with the, uh, old ADATs starting out. And then I got the Digio two, you know, it was like, I could, up, I upgraded where I absolutely had to, you know, at that moment, uh, to get a decent quality product. And, uh, uh so yeah, I mean, that was kind of, uh, how all that, uh, came to be. And you'd mentioned Swift and just a quick segue on that. You guys are, uh, I read you're getting ready to do like a 20th anniversary kind of reunion thing or. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing a, uh, uh, in December, we're going to be doing a uh, uh, 20th anniversary show slash CD release party. I will take, you know, technically a record release, I guess, you know, like we will do have some CDs, but I guess people don't say that anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we had a record that we'd been working on, on and off of just old material, you know, um, um, just it, it was some of the riffs, even, you know, guitar player and I had when we were like 15, you know, stuff, you know, just a bunch of, uh, leftover stuff that we never used. And, uh, so we finally finished that up like this past year and released that record. Uh, but this will be, we never had a show for it or anything like that. And, uh, so yeah, we, you know, we're going to do a release show. Like we were never known nationally or internationally or anything like that. We were only, like, we were, you know, we were we had a good fan base locally, you know, most of our local shows are around a thousand, you know, people in attendance and stuff. And there's, you know, a lot of the old schoolers will come out of the works, woodworks for the, you know, for the novelty element, you know, it's like, Oh, I remember that band. I was, when I was in high school and, 
you know. So, uh, but we're gonna do like I guess it'll, it'll it'll likely be you know at least the one final show, maybe a few shows or something like that, just to just for fun, just to hang out with our old fans. You know, the people still want to hear it and uh, uh, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, we're we're looking forward to that. You're working on. Uh, I'm working on learning how to re relearning how to play drums again. Now <laughs> should, right. should be interesting. So are you, you're, you're recording all this yourself though, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I did all the recordings for Swift. I guess Swift started my recording business really uh, for the most part, because uh, you know, we had, we became pretty quickly popular back in the late nineties, um, you know, uh, on the local scene. And uh, you know, people would hear, you know, that was the first like multi-track, you know, uh, recording that I had done, it actually sounded pretty decent, you know, pretty clean and stuff like that. And uh, and nobody around here was doing anything that sounded decent, particularly for heavy music, you know. Um, so I could have kind of stood out, you know. The the production was like beyond what uh, the you know the sound quality was beyond what other in- local engineers and stuff, uh, you know, was were putting out. And uh, the local bands started started approaching me, including Between the Buried and Me, who's you know Between the Buried and Me is the the biggest uh, sure. band that I've uh, worked with to date and uh yeah we'll talk about them in a few minutes here yep but uh so now did you record swift where you're at now at the basement uh, the new record yeah we we did we did the tr- well that was actually tracked everywhere some of it was tracked in new york some of it was tracked in wilmington uh you know it was very remote because uh, a couple of guys from swift uh you know, years back, probably 2005, six, they moved up to New York and, uh, you know, one of our members was, was going to school in Wilmington. He's, he's now got his doctorate degree uh, in chemistry. Um, but he, uh, like I said, so it was, it was kind of a remote situation. We we're like, Hey, we got all these riffs and stuff. Let's, let's just finish a record up kind of thing. And uh, so they would track guitars wherever they were and they would send the, the DI files and I would track the drums here myself. And then, uh, you know, some of the stuff we got together to actually track guitars and, uh, you know, the vocals, uh, I think the, the vocals, some of the vocals were tracked up in New York, but most of the vocals were down here in my studio. Uh, but yeah, all the records prior to that were tra- recorded in my parents' basement, which was just a, you know, cinder block kind of wall basement with tools hanging sure. up and weed eaters and things like that. <laughs> right. Cool. So um, getting back into some of the bands you've worked with, of course, I know you've worked with some friends of mine, of course, uh, Outlier. And, uh, you know, Ray Curry considers you the sixth member of Outlier. And uh, you're working with uh, a couple of my friends there in False Prophet. I'm excited to see what you got going on with those guys. Um, But I would say that, uh, you know, most noticeably, yeah, you've been kind of known for your work with a lot of uh, bands, including um, Between the Buried and Me. So, um, you know, uh, how did you get affiliated? Uh, Go ahead and start that. You started telling it and I interrupted you, but how how did that affiliation come to be? Uh, Well, if I remember correctly, I think, like I said, um, you know, back late 90s, I was active with my band Swift and uh, I used to also do live sound and I had done sound for... uh, you know, a couple of the guys in between the barrier, they used to be in a, uh, you know, a straight edge hardcore band called um, uh, Prayer for Cleansing. And I had done sound for those guys. Okay. And, uh, you know, they were kind of doing the metalcore sound like before that was even a thing, really. And uh, but they I think they heard the Swift record. and Hey, this sounds good. Like who recorded that? You know, and uh, I think somebody had called me or approached me to record them. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, it was cheap. So. Uh, you know, I recorded the um, the first BT Bam demo. I think it was in two thousand or two thousand one or something like that, and uh, that was the demo they they got signed to Life Force Records with that demo. 
mm-hmm. uh, or after, after after that demo, and I, you know, they came back to do their first full length, which was literally just a live recording in my parents' basement there again, um, you know, just like I had done Swift and a lot of the other early bands. So. Um, and when you say live recording, you just mean kind of the old school style. Everybody's together in the room. Exactly. And you're tracking the main stuff together. And then maybe the overdubs for solos or some vocal harmonies come kind of after the fact. But the the core audio is all recorded at the same time versus yep. all separately. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, I love that. Yeah, the early Swift records. I mean, all the Swift records, really, except for the last one, uh, out of, just out of necessity, were done that way. And, you know, the early BT Bam records, yeah, they all just jammed together. And, you know, we would we would overdub leads and vocals and uh, maybe touch up a rhythm part here or something like that here or there. Uh, but yeah, that's how we did it. You know, it's largely how I did it. And before I got into the full production of the industry, kind of like label, major label spec stuff, you know, like the labels are kind of, you know, they're, uh, you know, they want things, you know, in close to perfect time and tune and all that kind of stuff. So there's, you know, there's more computer production work that started going into it. I guess, uh, you know, the further into the, you know, 2000s, it kind of was expected to be done, uh, you know, a little more, pro- you know, production editing stuff. So Sure. Yeah. So, and with your work with, with, uh, between the buried, you also kind of won some cool awards, right? Producer of the year, metal injection. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know how crazy that, stuff. Yeah. yeah. It was this luck. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm getting all these, you know, I was, this past year I've gotten all these accolades and like between the buried and me was, uh, you know, nominated for a Grammy, a Grammy and, uh, you know, I got best metal producer and, um, you know, all this stuff. And uh, it was like, you know, I know there's like way better producers out there, you know, people I ever, you know, there, there were people that I like, you know, listen to for inspiration on the list. And it's like, what, how, you know, how did I win this? You know, but it's, uh, you know, of course I'm not complaining. I'll take it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely, yeah, right? uh, it's definitely, um, you know, helpful promotion. I'm sure it hasn't hurt the workflow coming through. No, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, a uh, you know, definitely, uh, uh definitely is, is nice to be, you know, a, you know, for your hard work to be recognized. I mean, you know, I really feel like the BT band guys have really have worked really hard all these for a lot of years. And, you know, I, I know I've done my 70, 80 hours a week, you know, for years and years, you know, it's like, uh, you know, really put a lot of effort into trying to, to do this and uh, learn this stuff. You know, it's a, uh, as you probably know, coming from the time, you know, there was no internet, you know, in the late nineties and early two thousands, you know, you know, the YouTube, you can't go on YouTube and learn how to, uh, you know, uh, quantize drums or do any of this stuff. You had to figure it out <laughs> yourself, you know, really. Uh, unless you could find an industry guy who was just willing to divulge, you know, what they considered at that time to be secrets. You know, those were like industry secrets, you know, how to get right. those were that. Those were sonic signatures that people were basing their careers on. Yeah, they, they guarded that stuff at that time. You know, now it's all common knowledge and educated online for free and whatever. And it's like a... Uh, but that time, you know, it took a lot of work and time to to uh, to get things to sound even half decent, you know. So, uh, yeah. you know, so it's it's nice to be recognized, you know, at some point for for a lot of hard work and stuff, and appreciated for it. Sure, well, absolutely, and you know, it's it's one thing with the recognition, but then you realize that it's it's not just one factor. I mean, it's the whole piece of work that resonates with the public, right? So, yeah. if you're a part of that piece of work everybody's getting recognition, you know, for that piece of work. I mean, there's the band and there's the producers and there's all the, yeah. all the management and all the video people. So I mean, just, that, that entire scenario, I think just really struck with the public and just, you guys just put out a, a 
kick-ass piece of art that I think just hit at the right place at the right time. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, congrats to you guys and that whole that whole team. I appreciate it's, it. It's uh it's pretty crazy when you're talking about also not being able to back in the day go back and you know refer to to YouTube or videos or you know hardly even books out there at that point. Yeah. You know, with the advent of the internet the entire industry really changed. And uh, you talked about kind of your role now is that you've really gotten more into like the mixing and the mastering and the post-production because pretty much anybody with a laptop can now record their own album at home by themselves, step by step, right? So um, that whole digital realm has now, I think, opened up a lot of doors for, for people. What do you think about that? Is that something that you're do you support you like that or are you kind of still hearkening back to those old school days oh uh, there's 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 you know plus and minuses with that you know it's a uh, you know i think uh you know back in the day you know everybody had to work harder and it was you know like especially there's a, one of the big negatives is that you know, you know like people there's a loss in performance in the recording element you know that i i still try to keep in my recordings you know i like try to get people to come in and actually play the drums like we're not programming the drums we're not going to quantize the life out of it we're not going to you know go only samples and things like that you know it's like it seems like yeah they're not all triggers yeah i mean that's the stuff you can do at home quickly and easily but you you know still difficult to you know just you know you have to have a lot of good quality preamps and mics and things like that in a good space to do drums proper and things like that and it's like and then back in the day, you know, the bands used to write their record. They would re- rehearse their record before they go in the studio. And then it was just, you know, about getting good tones and takes. And now, you know, people, they, they don't even write their records. They're like, they've got riffs on Guitar Pro or whatever. And they just expect it, you know, hey, we're going to just program the drums, right? And we're going to, we'll figure out how it all goes together. And it's like, there's not even any song, you know, it's just like, so that's, you know, it's amazing that you can do these things. You know, I think these are great tools, like writing tools, like Guitar Pro and, uh, you know, the drum programming and all that stuff. You know, it's really, they're really good tools, you know. And they can sound fantastic, you know, fidelity-wise and stuff. They can oftentimes sound beyond what you can achieve in, in the acoustic realm with the real players. Uh, but it's it's not better to me, you know. It's like, you know, you wonder, like, where where are all the new bands? Where are the new hero bands? You know, You know, we have all our you know, hero bands from the past and they had to, you know, part of, you know, they made that connection because it was real, you know, it was like they are playing and you can feel it and stuff like that. And then this new stuff just really sterile and lifeless and just doesn't, you know, um, a lot of it doesn't have an organic feel to it. That's for sure. And, you know, I come from, you know, back in the old school metal days and, you know, we, we always talk about those albums that have the raw sound. I mean, there's a, a level of production to them, but, you know, they still have that feel like, you know, the the gains are cranked all the way up and you can kind of hear the guitar buzz and you can hear yeah. the tone of the kick drums. And it's not just like an impulse, you know, the yeah. the ticka, 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 ticka kick drum sound that everybody likes so much. Um, yeah, we, we joke about that all the time. And, and uh, I'm I'm a terrible audio producer. It's not my calling by any means. But, you know, it's fun to listen to those old albums. You know, uh, I was talking to, to Rick Ross and, you know, he was talking about recording you know, from beyond and then comparing that recording to to back from beyond, you know, it's the same band, but two different takes on the genre, you know, so yeah. it's just crazy how technology has affected, I think, the overall sound and what we refer to as a polished sound that's enjoyable to listen to sometimes comes at the sacrifice of that live organic feel. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I, I think you know, therefore connection. You know, like on on the surface, like I said, the the slick, super punchy, super in your face, loud thing. It sounds great. You know, I just for some reason I feel like that's part of why these new bands aren't making a connection with their with the people. You know, or they're you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's something playing you know into that. You know, but like I have, I think that you know the the you know there's a sweet spot that you can find with this the new technology. And the new process, the way things, I think it's great that people can track guitars at home, you know, and, and usable guitars, you know, it could save, you know, a lot of this stuff saves money for the client, um, you know, having to go into the studio. And I personally enjoy, like I said, I mean, like, you know, now that I'm doing more mixing and mastering, I can be more flexible with my schedule. You know, I can go pick my kid up from school, stuff like that. When I have clients, you know, I'm sure, kind of, you know, I'm, I'm with them 10 hours a day or whatever it is, you know. And right. so, you know, there's, there's a lot of positives, to, you know, logistically, you know, people don't have to spend crazy money traveling or, you know, buy and get hotels <laughs> and things like that. So there's a lot of things that are very positive. So, you know, if you can, you know, I think uh, if everybody can find that sweet spot and ride around you know, in that area with it, you know, there's a lot of, you know, new bands that are huge, you know, ghost and all, you know, they're, they're going, they're, you know, an opeth and they're doing this, the organic thing, you know what I'm saying? They understand, you know, they've gone through the, you know, a lot of these bands have gone through the era of, you know, overproduction and realizing that that's possibly a mistake and they're kind of, you know, the bands are seeing that they need to do things real. You know, the bands who were, you know, you got bands like Periphery who used to do everything super processed and programmed. And, but now they're even, they're like, hey, let's use real amps. Let's use real drums. And they can still get us clean. Yeah, it's uh, Misha Mansour's band. Uh, They're a great band. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, but, you know, it's like they're, a lot of these bands are are recognizing that, hey, we, we might be able to, you know, impress more people it's more impressive if it's a real performance and it's i think it makes a deeper connection with humanity you know i think there's something about right it's just like do you do you find that bands come into the studio unprepared or not as prepared as they should be when you start pressing buttons do they get the oh shit factor going on are you dealing with that at all Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, there, I've got some bands who are like way, you know, obviously with between the Barry and me, for instance, you know, they'll write the record and record it all before even coming to me. You know, they, you know, right. You know, years ago I gave Blake, a, you know, my old, one of my old recording interfaces and stuff. And uh, I think, you know, since then they've been recording the whole record. So they come in and, you know, basically, you know, they'll still write extra things in the studio, like a, you know, extra guitar part or, you know, some keys or some vocal layers. Supplemental like stuff, that. though. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But the basic song is there and it's and they've taken the time and done it right. But and then you but you have some other people who just, you know, uh, just they they come in and I think they think that it's my role to write the record for them, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's. You know, it's just like, you know, it, and I'm fine with that. If they come in and, hey, we want you to write a, my record, you know, I can't do it or I don't want to do it. And it's discussed beforehand. But see, the problem is it's never discussed beforehand. <laughs> like they show up, they're like, right. you know, and I make it clear when I book my clients or my management books my clients that, um, hey, if it's written and well rehearsed, it's going to cost this much. It's going to take this much time. It's it's worded like that in every, you know, discussion with a client. And they're like, okay, yeah, we, we accept this, sign the contracts. And they come in and it's not written in well-rehearsed material at all. You know, it's barely written and definitely not rehearsed, you know, and that causes problems, you know, it causes stress, you know, and then now all of a sudden I don't have enough time. They don't have enough money and budget. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's just bad for everybody over, you know, overall, you know, and, uh, 
Yeah, I hear stories from a, a friend of mine that's a studio manager over here in my neck of the woods. And he, he says he gets that all the time is, you know, people show up and then they're blaming, you know, the engineers that are blaming, you know, yep. whoever's running the board that they don't know how to get the sounds right and this and that. And it's like we haven't even started recording yet, guys. You guys are not even on the same page. So <laughs> I've heard about that several times. Yeah, there's. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, you got to have somebody to blame. I guess every if you're not prepared, job, right? every you know, every, there's there's you know negatives and, and things have just changed. You know, the problems that you, that we used to have in the past are just you know they're just different now. You know, and uh, uh, but right. you know you know I think uh, but you know like I said there's there's you know that that that's what just divides who's great and who's not. You know, I, you know it just seems like the the bands who are successful, the bands who put in the work. You know and. And do it the right way. I haven't seen any, you know, the bands I've worked with, you know, if they come in, they're unprepared and don't do their homework and whatever, they usually don't become successful. So, you know, <laughs> so it's, you know, kind of a right fixes itself in the end, you know. So uh, how was it working with uh, False Prophet with this new Camly split project they're working on? Oh, that's yeah. That's awesome. Well, for me, it, it was like it was just crazy because, you know, when I was 13, you know, I, I was going to see false prophet, you know, and right. they had a, um, their local venue had a, you know, like thrash Sunday, you know, they had, you know, like they would do like thrash on Sunday nights. And I remember seeing false prophet, you know, as 13 year old and they, they came out with their, you know, their image, as you know what it is, you know, it's like the smoke machine and the, you know, the, the, the whole evil thing or whatever, you know, I was like, man, I was like terrified. Like, this is crazy, you know? <laughs> and then they're shredding double bass and like, you know, just right. super, you know, so I was like, this is awesome. You know, and like, you know, I became a fan pretty quick, you know, just cause you know, it was just so extreme and, uh, you know, to be able to, you know, my 13 year old self knowing that I might possibly record those guys one day, you know, or some of the guys and it's just, it's just crazy to me, you know, it's so, uh, you know, to have Paul Ray actually in the studio, you know, it's just like, dude, you're Paul Ray, you know, it's like, it's one of those, uh, situations for me, you know, so. You know, I was actually kind of nervous. Right. I'm like, I hope I don't, because, you know, I wanted to, you know, to do a modern style production, you know, where everything's clean and everything, you know, just, uh, you know, I thought that was kind of appropriate, but I, w I didn't want to go too far with it. So I was like, you know, and with it, you know, it's like, I, you know, I know they want to be, you know, I know it needs to sound old school because of the false prophet fans, but I think to reach sure. the newer fans, you know, you can't have it as, as, as raw as, you know, the old school productions were, you know. Uh, wouldn't be acceptable right. with the you know with the the younger crowd. So I, you know I think we we found a good middle ground that we you know captured what they're doing right now, and their tones and use their tones and sounds and and you know kind of uh, took a classic slash modern approach in production and stuff. So uh, well I guess we'll see what people think when the when the song you know is officially out and all that stuff and uh, you know. Um, and now you were initially also you did the remaster for Second Death, right? Was that you? Yes. That you? Yeah, I actually did that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That yeah, was. And so, I'll oh, go ahead. So I was just going to say, yeah, that was like I said. Obviously, you don't have you know control over you know individual levels or tones and things like that. So uh, that was mainly just bringing it up to modern specs in terms of level and EQ and stuff of that nature. So. Uh, you know, it's a little yeah, that was actually going to be my question is, is so when you get a project that's kind of been around for a while and, and you have to be tasked with breathing new life into it. Yeah. How does that go about? I mean, how do you take old recordings and, and polish them up? I mean, I assume that you get the original masters at some point. Yeah. Well, there's a, I mean, it's, I do a lot of work with, uh, you know, uh, Matt Radzinski of, you know, of, um, 
Die Bomb Records and uh, Jeremy from Heaven Heaven and Hell. And there's a couple of record labels that I work with that right. specifically, uh, you know, focuses on uh, the re-releasing uh, older records, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, stuff that's out of print or was never actually, uh, you know, uh, released in the digital realm at all, you know. Uh, things of that nature. So uh, a lot of those, you know, some of the some of the records have the old the old school uh, one inch tape masters, you know, and and those labels will have the, you know, we they know we know people who can like bake the tapes and like give us give us the digitize the audio from the actual tapes. Uh, but oftentimes, all we have are like early CD copies or uh, sometimes even cassettes or sometimes even the vinyls. The only thing that exists. Um, so in a lot oh, of wow. it, yeah, a lot of instances that that's that's all we have. I want to say the false prophet may have been from the cassette, or may no. I think it actually. Was, I think we did were able to get a, a CD of that, uh, but I can't remember. Yeah, a lot of these. You know, some of these bands, like I said, it never made it to. They never made it to digital, or if they did, they were long lost. You know, every once in a while you have a you know a DAT right. machine copy or whatever, but. Uh, yeah, so the the word- so when you take these old recordings, do you just you know take take the source right? So a CD, for instance, and and then convert it to a digital file, and then run it through yeah. computer based EQs and filters and things like that. Yeah, it depends. Like I said, I mean, it's so wide. I mean, we could get in depth with this thing, uh, but yeah, like some of the records that have been released, some of the old records were properly mastered with real mastering gear. And some weren't uh, back in the day. So I kind of try to determine, hey. Wh- was this properly mastered at some point? And if it was, then I'll just, I'll keep it all in a digital realm. I'll assume that they used real, you know, the real tube compressors and things like that back in the day. And it was, you know, uh, if it sounds good and just basically I'll just shape the EQ and then, and try to bring it up to a close to industry spec without completely crushing a life out of it. Um, so, <laughs> you know, right. yeah, this it's, it's, you know, it's tough cause the, you know, well, it's better now, actually. Like, but you know, five years ago, the industry spec for level was quite high. You know, it's quite a crust product to to get it to, a, you know, like negative eight RMS was kind of like the going you know level. You know, it's a and it's just sure. you know, that's a really you know cutting some of the dynamics out of the record, which I'm not a big personal fan of. But I understand from the record label standpoint, you know, the marketing aspect. You know, louder's better to the general public. You know, on taste tests, so it's they they always. You know, they pushed me to go loud, you know, it's and, and uh, sure. uh, to sell the well, product. Well, I think we all remember having those those albums, you know, when car stereos first became a thing and yep. uh, or CD players in cars anyways. And you'd have to crank up yep. your stereo yep. all the way to hear something. Yep. And then as soon as you pop that out, you're blowing your speakers up because your radio is just so much louder than what you're listening to on oh, your yeah. media. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I do that. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends that do, you know, podcasts and things like that, too. And I listen to them like on my phone and I'm like, man, I can't even hear your show. Yeah. And then if I listen to it in the car, then I have to make sure that I turn my stereo down before I I eject their stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It could be damaging to your ears and stuff. Right. Well, speaking of technology, you kind of touched on it a little bit ago and I didn't want to, to, to break you off on it, but just curious. So. Um, the eternal debate for audio people is going to be outboard gear versus plugins. Yeah. How do you find that balance? I mean, what's, what, what do you, what's your process on? How do you decide what you're going to use with each individual artist? Oh, it's, uh, 
both. You know, to me, the answer is both. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of great stuff that's uh, only achievable in the digital realm. Uh, but there's still some aspects of the analog stuff that's not achieve that's not achievable in the digital realm, in my opinion. There's a there's a 3D depth or something. There's uh, um, it's hard to put your finger on it, but if you hear it, you know it. You know, there's like a a living and breathing type vibe that you get when you run run audio through a a real tube compressor or two BQ, as opposed to the uh, like you know oftentimes they have the you know the classic um, you know. Uh, analog stuff and they'll have a uh, somebody will have done a model of it you know in the computer and the model right. is spot on as far as the eq wise as far as like the you know the technical spe- specs but the 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 plugin always sounds more like one dimensional it always sounds flat and almost like you know a lot of people say compressed to me it seems like limited or something it's like the, it just doesn't right. have it doesn't have that living uh, depth to it you know um like I said, if you read, you know, I've got, you know, the manly, uh, you know, the standard man, manly mastering gear. And it's just, you just, you put stuff through it and it's like, it feels like the drummer is behind the guitar player, you know, like you're in the room or something, you know, it's like, uh, like 3d spatial feeling. Yeah. It's a spatial thing, you know, and I don't know how or why it's like that. And I think eventually they'll get it, you know, they'll get the digital thing. It'll be there probably eventually. It'll just take a lot of crazy processing power. Uh, they might already be able to do it, you know, like a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, are switching over to the, you know, in the guitar realm to the, these Kemper units and Axe effects and all these, you know, uh, modeler units for guitars. But it's, uh, you know, like they've had these things, you know, since our day, you know, in the eighties and stuff. And they had, you know, they had Digitex, you know, they had all these guitar processors, but those sounded yeah, really it was bad. Roland, and, Roland ran the, Roland and Boss had all the Cosm modeling stuff back in the day. And that ended up. Uh, precluding even you know line six which became the de facto name in modeling for yeah. well over a decade before you know axe fx and you know head rush and all these new new brands kind of got into it yeah it's like uh like i said what's happened is you know we're just like like to emulate what a real tube amp does it takes a lot of processing power and now it's just now to where the processing power is affordable enough you know to for it to work out you know like I said the old um the old the um the old Digitech stuff, we're doing the, we're trying to do the same thing. They just, you couldn't afford to, it wasn't marketable to have a, a crazy, or, you know, it wasn't practical to have a crazy, com, you know, uh, you know, closet sized computer to emulate a guitar amp, you know. But <laughs> now, right. you Network can, servers. You know, now you can put it in one, ra- you know, a three rack space unit and it's, you know, like now they finally have gotten the guitar emulators to sound pretty, pretty freaking close to the real amp. And it's, uh, uh, and I think they'll. Well, speaking of Kemper, don't you have? Isn't there some Jamie King signature Kemper profiles out there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tonecrate dot com um, actually is uh, they they um, feature me as uh, one of their monthly artists or whatever. So they came in, they came up from Texas and uh, they grabbed the profiles of the amps that I use here in the studio and tones that I've used on uh, you know some records uh, from Between the Barry to Me and the Contortionist and. And, and others or whatever so but yeah yeah those, it's really cool things you can do with that stuff you know so you can actually nowadays you can have the exact sounds used on uh you know others records and stuff which is which is cool and not cool at the same time you know uh, but, uh, <laughs> all right but no, uh, that's pretty awesome yeah yeah but it's it's really fun i've uh, really i've been nerd. to many many death metal shows with old school death metal bands uh who are using 
Kempers yep. Yep. <laughs> to get their old school sound still. So, well, it's great. I mean, yeah. you can, like, I'm, a, I'm a, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. You can fly with it. You know, you can go, you don't have to bring your full stacks. You can have the same sound as your whole, you know, or false prophet had crazy Mesa boogie full stack rigs and stuff, you know, you know, flight rack of, you know, of uh, Mark twos and stuff like, you know, just insane, but they can have that same sound in a little rack. Now, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's a, uh, and that's uh, to me, that's oh, a positive, yeah, very positive thing. Like I said, the negative aspect is everybody's like just using each other's tones. Nobody, it's like to me, it's still better to have your own guitar sound. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, no. even the people who buy my tones, I'm like, that's cool. Take that tone and then manipulate it, change it into something that's your own. You know, don't just use it as I dialed it up for this particular project. Then, you know, that's uh, another problem with technology. You know, like they're using the same drum samples and the same guitar tones. And, you know, now their record sounds super similar to, a, a, you know, 10 other bands. You know, it's like, that's a problem. Right. You know, that's not a good thing, you know. Um, yeah, I've got um, quite a bit of uh, TC Electronics pedals and whatnot, which you can download artist presets via USB into pedals now, which to me is mind blowing. And actually, way more complicated than I'm willing to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I'm like, oh, it's too much work, man. I just want to turn a fucking knob and call it a day. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but speaking of knobs, then in the digital realm, when you're mixing, I mean, are you doing in the box stuff, or I mean, you mentioned that you weren't really working with the big boards and stuff as often anymore. Yeah. Uh, what's your mixing process? It's just all in in Pro Tools. Yeah, like that's one thing I love. Digital. I love the digital control. Not so much the sound. Right. You know, I love the analog sound. You know, I still use the Neve and API preamps and. You know, I've got the Manly and the, you know, Empirical Labs processing SSL stuff, you know, so I've got the premium s- stuff for the sound of, uh, with analog, but I hate analog control because it's not recallable. Like, you know, a lot of analog pieces, especially the old design stuff, if you just, I mean, you can move the, the you know, the knob just super slightly in the, in the character of the sound drastically changes. That's, that's the stuff that drives me insane. So... The thing I love about digital is the is the recallability, the control, you know, um, the incremental thing, you know, with the mixing, it's essential to me, you know, especially uh, this day and age where, you know, like, you know, back in our day, you know, you would mix a record and people would go home and they just had to live with it, you know, they'd be, <laughs> you know, some of the guitars might not be loud enough, you know, or like, you know, right, you know, there's, there were issues, but it's like back in the day, it was like, okay, that was it, you know, because like to fix that, you would have to remix the whole thing, you know. Nowadays, you know, right. client, you know, we can listen to it for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, even a year, two years or whatever, and really fine tune, get the mix right, you know, over time, um, you know. Uh, and Yeah, you can pull up an old file yeah. and, you know, tweak one aspect of that and still have the original saved in case yes. that doesn't work out. That's that's pretty, the whole uh, non-destructive editing is way more convenient than sitting there with uh reel to reel and splicing tape absolutely yeah i mean yeah that's <laughs> which i'm I mean, sure you've done your share of yeah it's yeah the tape like i said i mean it's just with the analog stuff it's just like recall is uh, difficult you know it's not impossible but it's very difficult and time consuming and uh, uh that was one of sure. the main things that that brought me over to the digital realm is the possibility you know and it, you could do like with automation, you like affects things that you could never do in the analog realm, you know, just, um, right. You know, and, uh, you know, you know I, I run, um, so when I, when I set up my podcast sessions and, and I go and I edit, it's really cool because I just do this off a of MacBook and then I have, uh, through, you know, pro tools and then 
I have Pro Remote pulled up on my phone and another Pro Remote pulled up on my iPad. Yeah. And I have three screens, all portable screens that I can I can write automation with it. It's really cool. And, um, and, and I mean, I just cracked the surface on it, but I've seen my friend record an entire album on a laptop with an iPad and a phone as basically his digital mixers and, and have it come out friggin' amazing. Yeah. It's so, uh, that, that realm of possibility is just mind blowing. Yeah. It's the, I love technology in that regard, you know, and there's a lot of things that, like I said, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of emulations of analog stuff that are actually are really good and stuff and really usable. But, you know, I mean, it's definitely yeah. made yeah. things easier for us all, you know. Yeah. Um, well, in addition to, you know, kind of moving into digital realms and, and dealing with that kind of stuff as the industry progresses, um, you know, what are some of the challenges now that you face working with uh, labels or outside artist management? You said, you know, sometimes there's specific requirements that, you know, an artist manager might want or a label might want. Um, how does that affect what you do? Uh, well, I mean, I haven't run into too many issues with that. You know, in the past, there's, you know, like, because I don't do a lot of commercial stuff. I think that's, you know, if you're doing hip hop or country and things like that, and they're really pushing for radio and commercial, you know, things, I think, you know, that's, you know, more of that realm of issues but you know i you know i've had you know i've had labels you know you know just these little certain things with the mastering the labels usually want it loud they want it to be as loud if not louder than other you know uh label you know luckily like like i said now that apple you know i, I just recently got apple infants certified um so you know apple and spotify and you know most of the people are you know are digesting their music or taking their music with the, the you know online you know uh, services so um and they're all standardizing levels which i think is great you know i don't like having to chase my levels up and down when i listen to music as a listener so i understand why they're doing that and i'm all for that um but it's uh you know so now luckily the labels are fine with dynamic masters you know but before they would be like hey can we get it louder i'm like dude if we Yes, technically, yes, but it's going to crush the life out of us. Now it's going to not sound good. You know, the kicks are going to be gone and the snare, you know, the punch of the snare is going to be good, stuff of that nature. And, uh, uh, you know, I always would side with the artist, you know, on it. And they knew it would sound better, but I, we just, you have, sometimes you just have to do what the label wants. You know, whoever's cutting the checks at the end of the day has to say so. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's, and uh, so, you know, sometimes there would be issues with the master levels or, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's, you know, I've seen lab bands have issues with the, and I, I have no say so in this either, but what single, what gets used as the single and things of that nature. I've seen that kind of play out and, uh, uh, or just, uh, you know, Hey, let's do, uh, you know, it, well, even with BT band, which it, I don't think it was, uh, there was a big debate, but the last record, you know, um, uh, Sumerian suggested that they, you know, they wrote it as an 80 minute record, you know, uh, their last record and Samaria decided, Hey, let's, let's try splitting this up. You know, BT Bam has been, you know, their last five records have been like 70 plus minutes, you know, which is uh, right. it's a lot to yeah, digest. Their songs, are, their songs are long, man. They usually average, you know, seven to nine minutes. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's uh the label, you know, which, you know, I, I co I'm in agreement with the label in this, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to digest to sit, you know, to have 80 minutes to sit down to listen to a record, you know, and, um, so I, you know, I don't know if they'll do that again, but that was definitely a label thing, uh, 
that was kind of well you talked about opeth earlier and opeth i mean every song of theirs is like an opera in and of itself <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> listening to an entire opeth album in one sitting is like an entire day's work so. <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, a lot of the prog community loves that, but, you know, the average public, and in particular, like radio, you know, I understand the difficulty because you want to get radio play, but, the, you know, if you got all your songs right. for seven minutes, the, the guy who's putting that stuff together, that's a big chunk of the, you know, airtime, you know. You could do two like, I could play your one song, or I could play five other songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's so I understand, you know, and uh, and for videos, you know, it's like, like, what do you do with that? You know, it's like BT Bam... Hardly, they don't have a whole lot of videos, you know, and I think it's the length, you know. So, you know, I understand those scenarios, those situations, but, uh, you know, I've had some labels, they're just like, hey, we, I want to take this song and, and separate them into three sections. And it's like I'm in the middle. The band doesn't want to do it, but the label's kind of insisting. And, you know, uh-uh. but luckily, most of the labels have, you know, stayed out of most of the band's uh, way. You know, they're like, uh, they're like, hey, let's let the band do what they do. And, uh, you know, we do what we want to do on the mix. And, you know, outside of the, the mastering level or the, yeah, just mix that guy out. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Turn I've heard that quite off, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, luckily I haven't uh, experienced any of that, but yeah, that's good. Hey, I read about your, uh, at least I saw one of your posts online, your epic, uh, archiving project that you had in an oh, attempt man. to salvage some, some older material. Tell me about that. I saw the right picture. Now. It looks like thousands thousands of pieces of work yeah. sitting in a box. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have a whole, you know, you know, full bookshelf full of CDs of, you know, for all my, the masters that I've done over the past 20 years and, you know, all the project files and stuff. I, you know, for many years and that's not, you know, cause I've been archiving on uh, hard drive since like 2013 or 14 or something like that. So this is just all the archives before that. <laughs> so there's thousands oh, before yeah. I started archiving on hard drive, but, but yeah, I went to pull out a band, one of their record remastered, somebody I'd recorded in, in like 99 or something. And I pulled the CD out and it just flaked away and like, it kind of fell to the ground in flakes. And I was like, uh, like, cause I, you know, I always have purchased the pro media stuff and, you know, and it says, you know, good for a hundred years or whatever, you know, uh, so I didn't think I was going to cough, to, cough, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, this has not been a hundred years. Like, you know, uh, luckily most of it's completely fine, you know, I, but I had, there's a couple of projects that I have lost. Um, um, there's, there's one record that one of the DVDs w- was destroyed, uh, for whatever reason. And, uh, um, there's another master or whatever. Um, so there's, there's, you know, and luckily these are bands that, you know, they're, that are way, you know, they, they put out the one album back in 99 and, you know, they're, you know, I don't even know if they're live, you know what I'm saying? It's one of those scenarios. So, right. <laughs> so it's not any of the, impor- you know, more important, not to say it suggests it's not important, you know, like I try to keep everybody's uh, stuff, but it's no, none of the well, and assuming band. that assuming that the bands also at some point have their own copies of the same material yeah, so they, it, for the most part, it could be possibly still out there. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, digital's digital. Right. A lot of people think, you know, you have to have the original master and like, dude, if you got a copy, if you got a CD, if you ever press it on CD, there's a exact same thing that what I have in my CDRs here, you know, it's actually better. If you have the actual silver press CDs, you know, it's actually a better source for a master than my CDR master. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. just, because of that, I decided I was like, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and digitize everything. I did did that with my ADAT tapes years ago. They started um, disintegrating, uh, so I put all that stuff to hard drive, and then uh, 
So it's, it's a daunting task and I've been working on it for past months and and I still have two huge boxes to go, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it'll be all in the digital realm and then I'll, I'll, I'll copy it and copy it and copy it to like three or four or five hard drives and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, it won't, hopefully I won't have any problems for some years, you know, but it's always, you know, it's easier to copy from hard drives than, you know, than a thousand CDs, <laughs> you know, it's like a way less I time. think that's something that nobody really ever thought about years ago was, no, I've I, got this physical product. Uh, what the hell do I do with it? How do I keep it? I mean, nobody thought that it would just erode and disintegrate. Right. And all of a sudden you're just like, I've got thousands of pieces of work that are uh, going Thanos and just uh, getting snapped out of existence at this point. So yeah. yeah, crazy. I don't, I don't envy having to go through that product. That seems like a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. With the tape. I mean, like I said, that's what, why, you know, a lot of these bands we have to use for their remasters and stuff. We have to use the cassette or whatever, because their original one inch tape is just, just flaked away to nothing. And you, know, you have to store this stuff in like perfect conditions, like zero humidity. Of course I'm in a basement, so it's obviously not <laughs> ideal for tape, especially, you know, so. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, unless you have the money to put it in some sort of a humidity control vault of some sort, you know, you need a cedar vault, man. You need the guitar center acoustic room. Exactly. Tapes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, to, you know, but like I said, I mean, Hopefully hard drives, I mean, I don't know, we don't know how long the hard drives or flash drives and stuff will last either, but the cool thing about that is once it's, you know, it's at least easy to make copies, you know, um, from there, you know, it's like, it's not easy to make copies when you got a thousand individual CDs, it's like, you know, it's months worth of work here. Um, but once it's your hard drive, you can just leave it overnight and, you know, you, like back in the day, you know, like I was saying, the SCSI drives, I mean, it was like, you know, seven gig SCSI drive was like six, seven, eight hundred dollars, you know. So archiving right. the, to dry hard drives back then just what financially wasn't possible for any of my bands. Um, so that's why, you know, I always had to, you know, early on, like I just archived a DVD that was the only affordable uh, way to do that. So what's uh, what's something that you haven't had a chance to do professionally with your audio stuff that you'd like to do? I mean, soundtracks, live music, you know, documentaries. What's something that you'd still like to break into? That's a tough one. I mean, I, I mean like I said, I, I'm pretty comfortable where I am. You know, I enjoy the mixing and mastering a lot, um, you know, for these for the records. And uh, uh, yeah, it could definitely be fun to do a soundtrack for a movie. You know, I've been, you know, like I, I think... Uh, I don't even know if I should be saying it, but I think BT Band were, you know, there was talks of them doing something like that at some point, uh, possibly making a movie for their record. Because, I mean, they kind of write these long, epic things anyway. It'd be like right up their right. alley. Um, so maybe one day, maybe maybe something like that will happen. But, you know, one thing I'd always wanted to do, you know, this is it's not relevant to playing, but I always wanted to play in like a coliseum like as a drummer <laughs> like right. I, in my band i never we never got to play in like that setting you know we always played the clubs we played some pretty big clubs and stuff and some outdoor you know stuff or whatever which is pretty fun but for some reason i just always wanted to play in a coliseum you know feel my kick drum you know it's because a huge verb on it and stuff you know yeah just hear that boom yeah so with the swift reunion we may try to do something at the local coliseum annex um you know, some big fest, like local music festival or whatever. Uh, and my, I might have my dream come true or something. <laughs> yeah, just make sure 75,000 of your friends show up to support you. Oh, yeah. I don't care about that. You know, if we have a thousand, that'd be a, that'd be a dream come true right there. But, yeah, that's pretty killer. So what, uh, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but, but what is your take on 
when you recommend somebody wanting to get into to your field of work, do you recommend school at this point? Because this is a very controversial topic. A lot of people say, you know, I went to school, school was cool, I learned a few things, but at the end of the day, what I'm doing is not stuff that I learned in school. Yeah, I, no, absolutely not. Do not go to school. It's a waste of time and money. <laughs> in general, as far as this is concerned, like I've never, like I said, I went to school, I got my associate's degree in arts and I was going to go to school for audio engineering. But I mean, frankly, like, you know, I met some of the instructors and I already knew more about real engineering than they did from just doing it, you know. Uh, and then now, you know, all the education, you know, I've got classes on, you know, the, uh, the URM.com. I've got classes on Creative Live. Uh, there's a lot of other fantastic industry uh, guys who have classes out there online. You can learn what the real guys that are that are masters of the field. You can learn what they're doing from video, yeah. you know, nowadays. I mean, it's like... And you're teaching classes and Tommy Rogers is working with you on some of that stuff, correct? Yeah, he did the the Creative Live class was with um, Tommy, one of his solo songs. So we did a, a, a kind of a group thing like songwriting slash... Uh, you know, recording uh, type of thing for for that with Creative Live. So, uh, but so yeah. for you, you think, in your opinion, doing what you do, you find it more helpful to be able to kind of just log in and out to individual sessions to learn something specific that you want to learn, yeah. rather than enrolling in an entire course material yeah. and paying for a curriculum that you may or may not be able to take advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're wanting to do exactly what I'm doing, which is metal and rock and progressive styles of music, stuff like that. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the schools, they still don't, you know, they don't focus on metal. You know, you'll learn like what's, you know, what's done in hip hop, which, you know, frankly is easy, you know, basically it's just learn how to record vocals and program these programs, you know, that's like, that's it, you know, and then you've got other schools that focus, might focus on pop or country and stuff. But, you know, even that, you know, there's things that, that are specific to metal in terms of like the right mics for the drums, the right EQs, uh, you know, right dynamics processing sure. stuff that just, you're not even, they're not even going to talk about in, in these schools is you're going to pay $80,000. So they're not even going to brush on it, you know, and I know right. because I've had, edu I've done education sessions for graduates, of these schools and they come in and they don't know anything about producing rock and metal. You know, they know what an XLR cable is and what a preamp is and the basics. But, um, my thing, you know, like, uh, I just honestly think, you know, uh, you know, with all the information that's out there, you can learn yourself, you know, or get, get in either, you know, you know, buy some basic gear and just dive in, you know, to, uh, you know, some of these classes or, you know, on YouTube, there's a lot of information, uh, having said, there's a lot of misinformation on YouTube too, so you got to kind of be careful. The the purchase classes sure. are probably actually a little bit uh, better uh, there. Uh, right. There's there's kids and things that are like, hey, this is how you do it, and I'm like, this is not how you do it. <laughs> so it's kind of you know, you know, it's <laughs> actually <kinda. laughs> no, don't do that. Yeah, stop, please. Just shut your channel down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, what do you recommend for for bands and artists who they think they're ready to go into the studio? What's that final bit of advice you're going to give to them before they take that plunge, flop down a bunch of money, and say, "Make me a recording studio artist"? What What are you going to say to these guys and gals? Well, usually, I mean, what I recommend, like I said, just write your stuff and rehearse it. You know, just do the old school. I think that always makes because you can go into the studio and you can focus on getting good tones and takes as opposed to folk. You know, like most of the bands I have come in, you know, if they don't the, the bands that don't have the thing the material worked out and rehearsed. 
then we're just struggling. We're spending all the time just to get a usable take, you know, something that's passable. You don't want just what's passable. You want something great, you know, really good. You want a good, great tones. You want great performances. And that's what's ultimately going to make a great record. And uh, um, so, you know, I try to encourage the bands to do that, you know, and, uh, you know, and but, you know, and, you, you know, when you're choosing who to record with, you know, a lot of bands, I think, oh, we should spend more money. We're going to end up with a better record, blah, blah. And, it's, you know, there's a certain degree where, you, yeah, you do need to spend some money for somebody real. You don't want to go with somebody who, who you know, hasn't, isn't, doesn't consistently put out industry quality product, you know. But having said that, you don't need to spend a fortune and record with some huge, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's in some huge studio with somebody with super huge name or whatever. Uh, Cause I mean, honestly, the money would be better spent in promotion of the record. Cause you know, if you spend all your money on a recording and then, you know, you're sitting on, you got this great sounding record, but you got no money. You can't get it in anybody's hands. Yeah. I mean, their labels just aren't signing a lot of lesser known artists these days. And it's like, uh, so you might have to, you know, to get off the ground, you're going to have to promote yourself, you know, at this point, you know, it's uh, it's really tough to get to get the label's attention, to get the public's attention. You got to cut through the clutter. You're going to need a good video. You're going to need you know, things that there's the money's better spent elsewhere. So, uh, you know, I've seen bands make. So what you're saying is that it's not just the recording that matters. You have to consider all of the other factors that Absolutely. go along with making this a successful release, at least successful in the sense of getting it seen and getting it heard. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, focus. I mean, you got to get you got to get on some good shows, uh, you know, play. You know, you got to get your material to the people. You know, you got to let them hear it. You know, and traditionally a label. You got to get it on Misery Point Radio. Otherwise, nobody's going to hear it. Absolutely. This is how this works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, that's what it helps. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, in some some of these instances, you know, money helps, you know, to get get the radio play, get the video play to get sure. to get on the show. Some, you know, it's like, you know, it's. It's not ideal that that's the way you do it, but I mean, traditionally, I mean, it's a lot of people don't realize, you know, there's tour buy-ons, there's, you know, yeah. paid radio promotion, you know, the Clear Channel is, that's all it is, you know, it's like there's labels who pay for the rotation that they want, and it's like, you know, that's traditionally how it's worked, and uh, so the more you can do, uh, you know, on your own, as far with that, as far as that's concerned, or whatever, the better, you know, the more people you're going to get access to and uh, to hear your great record, you know, so... Um, yeah, so you know, do your homework, do the legwork, do the hard work, and don't half-ass your way through it. Otherwise, uh, you're going to get nowhere. That's for sure. Absolutely awesome. Agreed. Well, hey man, this has been an amazing conversation, and uh, I definitely appreciate you coming on. But before we let you go, why don't you go ahead and uh, plug your sites? Tell us all in the world where we can find you on the interwebs and in North Carolina. Awesome. Uh, well, I guess the first place you would want to go is, um, you know, jamiekingaudio.com. That's my new website. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I've tried to make it really simple. You can see pricing and things of that nature and, uh, see the different, some of the different services and we're, we're still refining things as far as that's concerned, but, uh, there's some of the different services I offer uh, on that site. You can get links to, uh, you know, tonecrate.com has my Kemper, um, uh, tone bundles. If you're interested in some of the guitar tones, uh, like I said, creativelive.com and the, the uh, Unstoppable Recording Machine. You know, I have classes on those uh, with with those um, uh, websites that, uh, you know, go, you know, uh, go over anything from editing to recording, mixing, mastering. You know, some of, some of the classes focus on 
you know, uh, other things more than others. But uh, you know, but those websites, you know, not just for me. That's they got. They all have tons of other uh, amazing producers and uh, industry peoples who are teaching their, you know, um, the things that they do on a regular basis. Uh, but yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think those are the main ones uh, as far as I can think. You know, as far as I can remember, and obviously, you know, with the Swift stuff, we're just on. If you're interested in my old band and stuff, uh, you know, I think we have a Facebook page, and all our all our material is going to be available on uh, you know a- Apple and you know, iTunes and Spotify and all that mess. Awesome! Find them on all the iTunes, the Spotify's, the iHeartRadios, and all your music catcher type devices. Follow him on social media, stock him on the book of faces, stock him on Instagram. I'm sure you'll find him everywhere. And what town are you in in North Carolina? It's Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Drop everything you're doing. Go there right now and record an album. And uh, I promise you, it might be listenable. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try hard. Hey, Jamie, thanks, brother. This has been awesome, and uh, I look forward to uh, checking out the that uh, soon-to-come Swift material, which I'm sure is heading our way soon, and uh, looking forward to hearing some of the projects you got coming down the pike with uh, Profit and uh, a lot of the other guys that you're working with. So thanks again for taking the time, and uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. And thanks to all of you for hanging out once more on Misery Point Radio. And a very special thank you to Mr. Ray Curry from Outlier for planting the seed and getting this whole thing going. Thanks, Ray. So don't forget, subscribe to the show, follow it on all the social media platforms, go check out all of Jamie King's websites, and don't forget to check out his band Swift. Here's a song drawn and quartered off their album, The Worst of All Things Possible. Change moving inside